Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome, everybody, to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. And I'm excited to bring to you a guest for the first time on this podcast, on this channel, uh, as we have moved into the YouTube space. Uh, I've got a really exciting week uh, during Rivals Week, and I couldn't think of any other person I'd rather have to help break down the Philadelphia 76ers everything that they are going through right now. They've had, they've had a lot of eventful times. We're just speaking right before this pod about the Eagles and uh, I'm, I'll be rooting for the 49ers because they have Christian McCaffrey who I played with, but uh, that I feel like that's a fair reason. And also just, just to watch Philly burn would be pretty, pretty <laughs> hilarious. Uh, he is Brian Toporek at Beatsaporek on Twitter. Does a lot of great work for Forbes and it's just a great Philly fan in general. So Brian, I want to give the floor to you. I know that this week is one of the most uh one of the most intense sports weeks that Philly has probably had as a city in a while. It it is. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on Rivals Week. I'm glad we can keep the uh the theme going from the NBA to this podcast as well. So uh happy to be here. Uh yeah, coming off of the Ben Simmons versus Joel Embiid first game ever last night and then we have obviously this uh potential mvp showdown on saturday and i would disagree that that is a reason to root for the niners on sunday <laughs> but uh we'll, we'll we'll take that offline that's okay uh no I, I i actually played with christian at valor christian high school that's where we both oh. went to high school and so that was a like i i know him personally and that was pretty cool to just watch him be traded to a place that actually could use his talents well. So that was a, that was, that's a great thing. And, and hopefully they, hopefully for your guys' sake, they don't use it too well on, on, on Sunday. Right. That would be, right. that'd be pretty tough, but either way, uh, Wednesday was an interesting day for both of us. I got to deal with the load management questions for <laughs> yeah. the Nuggets and Jokic and Murray, and you got to deal with Simmons versus Embiid. And I know that you guys have been really super uh, just, just, rearing for that matchup and it hadn't happened a couple times before just because of various injuries but uh this time it did manage to happen though without kevin durant were you surprised that the game was as close as it was not really because i mean earlier in the season the nets played the sixers and the sixers didn't have harden Embiid, and maxi and the sixers somehow still won that game so weird stuff happens when these two teams play but, you know, Doc Rivers spoke after the game about how he felt the Sixers got up, caught up emotionally. And, like, you know, there's there's good emotions to have during a game. And then if you get, like, too wrapped up in it, it we veer into the bad side. And I think Embiid in particular uh, was the big culprit in that regard. I think, you know, he wanted to dunk Ben Simmons into the center of the earth. Like, he came out, especially because he knew there were going to be possessions where Simmons switched onto him. There was one point in the game where Simmons was acting as the five, so he knew he was going to have some one-on-one opportunities, and you know, of course, the Nets sent help uh, at times. But like he was, 
he was looking to make a statement. I think the whole team was like George Yang was throwing like hard elbows in the Ben side. Like there is definitely bad blood between those two guys. Um, so I thought that was, uh, you know, certainly uh, factored in. Also, they just decided to not guard Seth Curry, which was certainly a decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, again, it's like how these teams match up in a seven-game series down the line. We learned nothing about that from either matchup so far this season. They'll play again in a couple weeks. Hopefully KD is back by then and we can, you know, finally see these two teams take each other on at full strength. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup because we, we've seen what KD really does to impact that kind of matchup. Uh, I know that it's it's you can't really take anything from it uh, in terms of like, okay, who's going to win this matchup in the playoffs? Because I think KD's just one of those guys that he will change the entire complexion of the game, as would Simmons and Bede Maxi, or not not Simmons, uh, Harden and Bede Maxi. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Uh, on the other side, when when they when they miss the first matchup, so it's it's definitely something to watch out for, and I, I'm curious to see how that sort of evolves. I thought that Nick Claxton, he's got yeah. this active. So I, I have an investment in in Nick Claxton now because he has this active streak going of 50 plus percent from the field in every single game that he's played so far this year. And he's he's just outpacing Nikola Jokic by a couple of games, which mm. is is crazy, by the way, because I just I looked up the stat. Claxton takes like seventy percent of his shots from zero to three feet, and Jokic takes like thirty percent of them from zero to three feet. It doesn't dunk at all, so that's always <laughs> a, a fun thing to track when you're looking at floaters and threes and things like that. But uh, no, I th- I think that the way that he guarded. Embiid was interesting. The way that Simmons guarded Embiid was pretty interesting. And you're right that Embiid, when he locks in and kind of calms down a little bit, will probably put those guys in the woodshed. But mm-hmm. that's the matchup that they have to dominate if they're going to win that series. And if he doesn't dominate that matchup, it just would not surprise me if the Nets surprised Philly later in the season. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like they've been running, they've just been spamming Harden. Embiid pick and rolls a lot lately, and that's become their bread and butter. And we really didn't see that a ton last night. Like Embiid was mm-hmm. back to being more of a post up guy, which maybe it was the Hakeem Olajuwon criticism from the other day, or <laughs> again maybe it was just like he really, you know, been smaller than him. I'm sure they went at each other in practice back when they were both in Philly, so like he's very familiar with that matchup. But can, can we talk about the the Hakeem thing real quick? Yeah, I thought it was please. more of just a stylistic thing rather than just a like, hey, this is how impactful and effective you are. I thought that it, like Hakeem was just looking for trying to generate the easiest move possible at the basket rather than like, like because Embiid does have the the followways and and like he's so so good at that and has a lot of opportunities where he can get a shot off, but he looks more like Kobe doing it than he does Hakeem. I mm-hmm. honestly thought it was more like that than it was like, hey you are a worse player because of this. That's just not really how I took it. Yeah. I mean, I think MB is especially sensitive to this criticism just because like, you know, how many times has he heard it from Shaq and Barkley in particular on inside? Like, you're a big man, go post up. Why are you shooting all these jumpers? It's like, (laughs) well, because he's really good at hitting those jumpers. You know, he's like above 50% from the field and hitting those. So, you know, I think it's him just saying like, look, the game is different now. You know, I used to be this. I used to post up every time and guys would double me and I can't see where they're coming from. So I added this 
Like it, it was a big change for him to add this face up game. And now like he can be more of a threat in transition as well. Now he made a concerted effort to add this to his game. So I think he gets frustrated when he, when all these older players are like, well, just abandon everything you've worked on for the past couple of years. And he's like, no, I make it like, I made a deliberate effort because I've been in the playoffs and I used to play this way and it didn't work. And now I rounded out my game and it made me into what I am like that, you know, one of the league's leading scorers, a legitimate MVP candidate for three straight years. Like, I, I think it's you know, a good thing that he's done this, but every time he hears that type of criticism, he, he gets a little frustrated by like, you guys just don't know how the game is played these days. Yeah, it's definitely like he'll, he'll, get to the rim he will draw fouls like he will do that stuff especially when it matters and mm-hmm. that's the most important thing it's it's not going like he's not always going to go to the fadeaway in the in the playoffs that's it's right. a it's a thing that you're working on right now so that when he has to go to it then he can so that's a that's that's how i took it and so hakeem shack whatever like it, it was something that nuggets fans could definitely hold over their heads that's that's pretty funny. <laughs> right uh, but it's does it have any bearing no Absolutely not. Um, okay, let's move on to the Sixers just in general. I'm I'm curious as to what you're thinking. Was this season sort of what you envisioned with the Sixers? And are you are you happy with the results so far? That is a loaded question for Sixers fans because there's been this weird like I mean we're more than halfway through the season and it feels like a lot of Sixers fans are still just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, you know, they got off to a rocky start, a large, a large part because of injuries. Uh, I believe they were 12 and 12. And then they've just ripped off this, like, massive, you know, what, I guess they're now 19 and 4 over their last 23. So everything over the past two months is screaming, like, hey, this is a legitimately good team. Like, you know, they're not blowing out teams every game. A lot of these wins have been close uh you know at utah and the lakers last weekend uh both were one point wins so maybe that is sign for some skepticism um i think the interesting thing lately is you know doc rivers said that they were going to have three starting lineups moving forward so one would be what they began uh with the opening night tyrese maxey James Harden, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, Joel Embiid. Uh, right. With Maxi hurt, they you know, and Harden hurt. D'Anthony Melton moved into the starting lineup for a good chunk of the season. So the other one is what we've seen in recent games, which is you know, uh, Melton in place of Maxi. Maxi off the bench as a six man. He didn't say what the third one was. I'm assuming it would just be the three guards, Tobias and Embiid. But we have yet to see that uh, at least start a game. It seems like they've just kind of pivoted to, you know, we said we have three, but we're really just going to do the Melton Harden thing. And I think I've been really impressed with how Tyrese Maxey has handled it because there aren't many third-year guards who, you know, were breakout stars last year, were even better this year, get hurt, lose their starting spot. You know, he's up for an extension after this year. Like, he's eligible for a nine-figure contract and is likely going to get a nine-figure contract he will yeah uh you know i think a lot of guys would probably bristle at the idea of coming off the bench but he really does seem to have bought into that role and we saw last night you know he was phenomenal in that like he is actually salvaging 
Doc Rivers' decision to go with all bench lineups oftentimes. So that's, I think, the biggest thing to track over the next couple months is, you know, do they stick with Melton in the starting lineup in place of Maxi? How does Maxi handle that? Can he really find a groove as a sixth man? And then PJ Tucker, I think, is the other big question mark. Um, right. Very much has not found his rhythm offensively yet. Um, you know, you, you're not expecting him to be like a 15, 20 point per game scorer, but he's got to knock in the occasional three pointer, like get some offensive rebounds, get a put back here or there, hit a couple free throws, just give you something on offense. And there have been a lot of games where he's, you know, just total goose egg. So if they can figure out ways to make him more effective, I think those are the two big storylines for the Sixers over the next couple months. Yeah, the turnaround that they've had in general has been awesome. Like going from where they were, I, obviously, I have some as somebody with a vested interest in their downfall. I was not super <laughs> happy about it, but like, right? Uh, it was it was a definitely a good thing for Sixers fans after what was a really shaky start to see it on both sides of the floor. And you knew that Embiid and Harden could generate a top ten offense basically in their sleep. The defense, I think, was the question, and it seems like De'Anthony Melton just in particular has been such an impactful player on that end, just being the point of attack defender, blowing up every screen and action that teams are trying to run. What has he meant to the Sixers so far this year, and and would he be somebody that maybe even plays more than Maxi in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't totally shock me just because the concern with a maxi Harden front backcourt is the defense, obviously. And if you are giving opponents two guys that they can target relentlessly on pick and rolls, you just wonder how far you can go. Melton has been so good on that end of the floor. He's really just like this two way connective tissue, you know, similar to what Bruce Brown has been in Denver, where you just need those kind of glue guy types around your superstars. Like, you know, right. that you know, your offense is going to revolve around Embiid and Harden, at least with the starting lineup. And, you know, Maxi was still averaging like 20 points a game alongside those two guys. So he was finding his way regardless. But now if you can have him anchoring these bench units instead, it helps kind of spread out the offense and, you know, he can get his while those two guys are resting. Whereas Melton, I mean, I could, I don't know exactly what he's shooting after last night, but he's been in the high 30s. Yeah, 39.3% on threes, almost six attempts per game. I mean, averaging almost right. two steals a game. Like, he's just been a phenomenal addition. Uh, I think the Sixers have no regrets. They traded Danny Green in the pick that became David Roddy to Memphis for him last summer. Frankly, that could turn out to be a win-win trade because we just heard that Danny Green's coming back. Uh, February 1st, he's targeting for his season debut of wow. the Torn ACL, which yeah. is wild. Um, but, you know, I mean, he's a potential trade chip for Memphis at the deadline, too. So, like, wouldn't shock me at all if both teams have zero regrets about how that deal went down. He, I, I love Melton. I've loved him for the last couple of years. I thought that he would have been a great fit in Denver next mm-hmm. to Murray. I'm glad they got KCP. I'm glad that that because that's worked out phenomenally for Denver. And I think Bruce Brown has also worked out phenomenally in Denver. We'll talk about those guys in the second segment. But uh, in general, Eastern Conference, like the playoff picture is is shaping up to be what it is. Boston looks like they're probably going to finish at the top. But Philly, 
continues to push upward and, and may end up as the two seed in the playoffs, when you're thinking about who can actually win the Eastern Conference right now, who does it start with and who does it end with? I think it obviously starts with Boston. They have the best record in the league. They look yeah. phenomenal. They're um, only one game ahead of Denver, by the way. Yeah, that is true. That is true. They're like, pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think Boston definitely. I mean, it pains me to say it either way, Boston or Denver. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, I, there are just no obvious weaknesses with Boston. Their defense is phenomenal. They, they're just so they, – they're so versatile in what they can throw out, which is – annoying for teams hoping to face them and topple them in the playoffs, but they can right. shapeshift their roster. I mean, if you want to go small, they have that option. If you, you can do the double bigs with Horford and Rob Williams and Brogdon was a really, really good pickup for them. Derek White's great. You know, Tatum is playing Tatum. Like in any other year, if Jokic and Luca and Embiid didn't exist, would be the front runner for MVP right now. And like, he might not even start in the all-star game. We'll find out tonight, but so he's having a career year. Jalen Brown's having a career year. So I think Boston, assuming they get to the playoffs fully healthy, the clear, clear favorite to win the East. I think Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, assuming health for all three, which is you know a big assumption, frankly. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, because Embiid and Harden have certainly had their issues over the years. Milwaukee, like Chris Middleton, has barely played this year. Uh KD and Kyrie and even Ben Simmons have certainly had their issues as well. But I think all three at least have the upside if things break right. You know, I it's hard to imagine any of them toppling Boston, but Milwaukee came pretty close last year, and that was without Middleton. So if he's healthy, you know, we know Giannis, like if you, he still might be the one player you pick if you're picking anyone in the playoffs to have on your team. I know he's had somewhat a down year in terms of efficiency, but I think it's because he's had to carry such a load without Middleton. You know, Drew Holiday has been playing really well this year. Um, they'd get Joe Ingles back recently. I know Bobby Portis is now out. So they just feel like, you know, let's just get to the playoffs in one piece and see what happens there. Brooklyn, like, I mean, I just don't, I'm scared to bet against Kevin Durant if he's fully healthy. And, you know, as much as I think Kyrie Irving off the court is just a very problematic individual. There is no denying on the court, he is still one of the most effective scorers in the NBA. You mentioned Claxton. He's having a monster season. He is really leveling up in real time. You know, I think Ben Simmons is really the big question for them. Like the version that came out in the third quarter last night is what they need. The version that was invisible in the first half. Uh, very much is not. I know Jacques Vaughn called him out after the game, which I'm sure sure will go well. Sure, given. that'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cleveland's the one that I'm on the fence about because Garland and Mitchell are so good together. Mitchell has just been such a perfect fit for that team. You know, I know like it's easy to say they need a small forward, but they they really do need a small forward, and I don't know how they're gonna. I, they've got Karis Levert's expiring contract to dangle, but they traded so many picks and assets to get Mitchell. So it feels like that is probably going to push them down beyond the like legitimate, I think they can win the East this season tier, but wouldn't shock me. You know, I mean, one of these teams is going to finish outside the top four. So like Cleveland, yeah. you know, is very likely to face one of Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn in the first round. Would not shock me if Cleveland won 
a series or even two series. It's just, can you beat, you know, three of these top four teams? It's possible, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite there with them. Yeah. The East is tough, man. Like that. I think that's really flipped over the course of this last calendar year or two. Mm -hmm. Like it has definitely shifted, I think to where, the certainty at the top is just not what it was in the West. And now there's certainty in the East where you can count on all of those teams to at least put up a really strong fight, whether they'll ultimately raise the the finals trophy at the end of it or not. I don't really know, but I could see all of those teams going probably not Cleveland because I, like you said, I just, I don't think that they are as connected uh, between the two guards and the two bigs as they probably need to be. Their bench still uh, uh, leaves a lot to be desired, but always having a guy like Garland or Mitchell on the court is going to really help their offense this time around as long as those guys are playing at a super high level. Um, I got to tell you, I watched Milwaukee last night and was not impressed. Maybe because they didn't see Jokic and Murray and weren't really fully like on point with everything that they wanted to do. I think they thought that Denver would just roll over and Denver didn't really roll over. It was 107 to 99 and they turned the ball over 23 times and they tried to run through the brick wall that Denver tried to put up there with Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green and Zeke Naji and guys like that. And they couldn't really do it. And I, I'm kind of surprised by that when you have Giannis and yes, he did get to the free throw line 22 times, but it was after he turned the ball over nine times and, I just think that if Denver ran up against them, Denver would be pretty happy. I think if mm-hmm. Philly ran up against Milwaukee, I think Philly would be pretty happy too. There's there's some things that, uh, yeah, going up against Brooke Lopez and and Giannis is probably not a super awesome treat for Joel Embiid, but he could get through it. He could, yeah. he could definitely yeah. get through it, and there's there's enough that he could do. I th- frankly, I think that's if I had to pick a matchup in the second round of the top four, I would probably pick Milwaukee instead of Boston or Brooklyn, which sounds crazy to say. No, it doesn't because like <laughs> the way that Boston and Brooklyn space you out and they, they remove the need for a rim protector like Embiid, like mm-hmm. you, you need to be switchable and versatile against those teams. And I think Denver this year is a little bit more switchable and versatile that they could match up with a team like Boston or Brooklyn, at least a little bit better than they could last year. But it's still something where you have, you're going to have Jokic on the court. And I know that Embiid's a much better defender just on the perimeter than somebody like Jokic is from a switching perspective. But even Embiid is going to struggle with that because like it's, it's six, seven Jalen Brown and six, eight Jason Tatum. And, uh, switching on to guards and closing out to the corner. And that's, that's hard. That's just hard for a big person to do. Yeah. And I mean, we saw it last night when he would try to switch out to Seth Curry, you know, yeah. Nick, Nick Claxton is a very good roller. So he would switch out to Curry and then Embiid has to, you know, go either. You can't leave Curry wide open, which they did at times. So he goes out to Curry, but then Claxton's rolling the rim and you've got a much smaller guy on Claxton. So yeah, then that's her. They're well-designed. And I think Jacques Vaughn has at least showed he's willing to just sit Ben Simmons. Like Ben Simmons is no longer the all-star certainty that he was back in Philly, where it's like, you felt like you had to pander to him. Now he's just like, all right, if we get good Ben Simmons, we'll play him. But if not, like you're going to sit for the entire fourth quarter and we don't care. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this, how the Sixers work out in the East and whether they can kind of break through this time around if you had to predict it, do you think that they get through? 
No. Uh, it's, I, easiest, I mean, it's easiest to predict no, by the way. And I, I've been doing it with other fans too. Like, look, I know that Denver's the favorite right now. I would still bet against Denver versus the field. Like, that's just yeah. how it works. Right. Yeah, and I think the Sixers are limited in what they can do at the trade deadline. Um, so I don't think they're going to be making any major upgrades. I don't know that any of the other contenders are. So maybe we're just you know rolling it out as is. But at Boston in particular, I, we'll see. They play the night before the trade deadline, and I'm hoping that Boston just like so thoroughly drills Montrezl Harrell or it's the Sixers in the Montrezl Harrell minutes. Daryl Morey's like, all right, we have to upgrade at this spot. Fine. <laughs> Uh, but I think that is a major concern. I wrote about it recently in Forbes. Like that, I mean, it, it. I sound like a broken record, but they just get crushed at times when Embiid is off the floor. You know, Montrez is who he is. Good offensive player, zero rim protection. Not a good pick and roll defender. We know Doc has overplayed him in the playoffs. And Denver fans, in particular, are very familiar Big with fan. Montrez Harrell, Big yeah, fan. and Doc Rivers. <laughs> so. You know, all of us, I think that is in part why Sixers fans are like just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like we, you know, Montrez has overtaken Paul Reed as the primary backup center. And we're all like, you know how this story ends, right? We've seen it before. Surely we're not going to do this again. But no, we're three months from the playoffs and that's that's where it stands right now. Well, we will see what happens there. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the nugget side of things. But first, gonna pay some bills here. Gonna talk to our friend, talk about our friends over at Superbook Sports as the final drive for the championship is here. And there's no better place to wager on this football title tilt this weekend than Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business. Plus, check out their special odds, boosts, and promotions at superbook.com. With over three decades of odds-making experience in Las Vegas, there's no better place to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. And we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Joined by my good friend, Brian Toporek, who does work for Forbes, but also is over at Liberty Ballers doing some writing for SB Nation. Uh, shout, shout out to SB Nation, as, as that has really <laughs> gone asunder over this last week, unfortunately. Uh, it, it hurts me, uh, for, for sure, because... Uh, Denver Stiffs was was where I spent my first seven years writing. And so like that's it's just it's brutal to to see all of that happen. But you mentioned the NBA pod with Morton Jensen. That's like you guys do great work over there. I've been a guest on that pod before. And and I think that you guys do a great job of covering the league at large. And it's one of the reasons why I want to have you on to talk about just the NBA, but also the Nuggets specifically, because I know that you guys pay attention and I know that we're going to get really good takes from this. So Brian, I'll, I'll give you the floor uh, before uh, actually, actually before we get there, Jokic and Murray uh, sat out this last game on, on Wednesday night. 
It was unfortunate. I think it drew some ire from Nuggets or from NBA fans in general that wanted to see Giannis and Jokic, despite the fact that, uh, hey, by the way, uh, the the Sixers and the Nets were on, and that's the only game that was promoted for today or for yesterday. So, uh, it's look, Jokic and Murray. Jokic is actually dealing with a hamstring thing right now. Like that, it's very rare that he actually deals with an injury, and it's so. This is something that Nuggets fans are trying to get used to, but. They sat him on this back-to-back after playing 36 minutes coming back from the injury against the New Orleans Pelicans. You on this side of things are should like you're not surprised about stuff like this, right? Like a second night of a back-to-back, you've got an MVP candidate, it's a soft tissue injury. Like, what are we doing here? It's it's fine to sit the guy on the second night of a back-to-back. It's just unfortunate that it was Giannis and the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, with all of this debate about load management and how the league can manage it, it's like I, you know, I cover the NBA. I'm a huge NBA fan. I would not pay, you know, months in advance to buy tickets to an NBA game right now. Like I would pay day of once I see the injury report. But you know, I I would not be interested in like risking it, and especially like you do have to check the schedule. It's like, I, I've had friends, you know, reach out to me like, Hey, should I buy tickets to this game two months from now? And like my first instinct is like, Oh, let me see if it's a back to back. Let me see if it's a three and four nights type thing. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I know a lot of people are saying like, they've got to fix this. Um, they are discussing a new CBA. So maybe they extend the season by a week or two and, you know, fully eliminate back to backs or something like that. I don't think there's a perfect solution here. Cause as you mentioned, if Jokic is, really dealing with something, you know, like sports science has just evolved beyond what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And we have technology that now like really thoroughly tracks, Hey, this guy is at risk for an overuse injury that they just did not have back then. And I think it's smart to be proactive. Um, You know, maybe should they have sat him against new Orleans and played him against Milwaukee? I, I don't know. Um, you know, the answer is no, by the way. Like if you're if you're trying to win a conference, if you're trying to like you're going to focus on the the conference game versus the non-conference game, and you're going to yeah. want to get the winnable game where you're not playing Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram against the CJ McCollum led New Orleans Pelicans, and you you got to get that game. You've got to ensure that you win that one. So should they have split up Jokic and Murray? Maybe, but like i i don't know like I, I can totally understand why they went for that one to try to get it and then sat everybody in milwaukee and just punted yeah yeah totally it's a fair point and i i don't think there's a, a solution here um because i think you know even if you fully eliminate back-to-backs i think still guys are still gonna load manage at times and you know this is what we get for like rings culture you know if everything is like decided if the the meaning of your season is only decided by the playoffs and what happens in the playoffs, then of course you're going to prioritize getting to the playoffs as healthy as possible, even right. if it comes at the expense of a regular season loss. Yeah. I, the nuggets have obviously they haven't prioritized the regular season these last two years, but with Jokic going for MVPs in, in a couple of those. And and honestly, like they had to, they, they had to scrap and claw to get a six seed this last year in order to stay out of the play and, and just eliminate that possibility. Now, should they have scrapped and clawed that hard when they could have faced the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs, as opposed to the golden state warriors, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of a different conversation that, that we're having, but uh, <laughs> look, 
Sixers fans know exactly how often Jokic wants to play, how available he is. And then like, I, I'm sure that availability word is, is kind of a trigger word in terms yeah. of uh, <laughs> Sixers nation. So apologies for that. But look, Murray's coming off of a torn ACL. Like, like there's, yeah. there's the other side of this where that is a perfectly legitimate reason to injury manage. Like he played 40 minutes the previous night. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I don't think there's a good answer. I think teams are right to be smart and be proactive. And if it comes at the expense, you know, I think if anything, just being more transparent would be helpful. Like if you yeah. you know that guys are going to sit, post it a week in advance or two weeks in advance. But I don't think teams are planning that far ahead. I think if, you know, like they blew out the Pelicans and Jokic played 25 minutes and Murray, you know, got to sat, sit for the entire fourth quarter. Maybe he does play yeah. against Milwaukee. It's just like, there's no good, perfect solution here. I think. Yeah. That's honestly, that's the key. That's the key right there. So look, it is what it is. Uh, we're not going to belabor the point, but I think Denver will be re- well rested for Saturday, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in the third segment. But next, I just kind of want your general opinion on, on where the Nuggets are as a team, what what they're looking like right now. Uh, Denver at this point, they're fourth in net rating and Philly's fifth at 4.2 and 4.1 respectively on NBA.com. They're pretty comparable teams in terms of quality right now. Uh, Denver's up to 14th in defensive rating, which I, I don't know if people really are paying attention, but this last couple of months, you know, when they started trying on defense – they have actually been really good. And I'm, I'm curious to see whether, like you think, is 14th good enough? Like what, what's the threshold here to really consider them a championship caliber team? Well, I think the benefit of playing in the West is that there isn't a Boston out there. Like there's not a team that is so far ahead of the field that you're scared of like, oh yeah, this team's definitely just going to make the finals. You know, you, you know the upside of the Warriors or of the Suns, if they can get fully healthy or of the Clippers. But I don't think the Nuggets have to be afraid of anyone in the West. And I don't think they are. Um, I think KCP was an awesome, awesome addition to this team, especially since Will Barton just looks like dust. You just got out at the perfect time. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, I mean, kudos. Yeah. We're really, really sad about that in general, but like, look, it's just, it's a thing. Like I think, yeah. uh, Sorry, as my as the air starts going on in my apartment. Oh, good. Oh, great. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be one of those things with Denver where they got killed for that trade in the offseason because did they or, or like like half and half. Some of it was like okay, they got about equivalent value, but a lot of people thought that they did it for salary reasons, or at least that was the first reaction. Uh-huh. Uh, because I think a lot of people considered KCP and Will Barton on the same level, and then they also gave mm-hmm. up Monte Morris for Ish Smith. So, look, I understand that take, uh, but Will is now not playing for Washington. And Monte, we saw his limitations against the Golden State Warriors, and you're not going to have that with KCP. Yeah, it felt like a bet on Bones Highland taking a bigger role. Like they just they knew Murray was coming back, so Monte was going to shift into his backup role where I, you know, I would argue he's like overqualified to be a backup point guard, but underqualified to be a starting point guard. He's in that weird middle tier, but like as a backup, he's one of the best in the league. Um, But the upgrade from Will Barton to KCP 
Like, I mean, KCP was, I, I loved the trade from Denver. Like I was so mad at, with every move Denver made this off season. So I was like, God, that's perfect. And like Bruce Brown, you know, you mentioned Anthony Melton as being like one of these analytics darlings or like guys that all the, you know, really like hardcore NBA fans know is better than whatever his modest scoring totals would suggest. Bruce Brown, a hundred percent in that mold too. And as soon as they, you know, like they signed him and I was like, how did the league let this happen? Like, how did you let this guy go for the taxpayer mid-level to Denver of all places? What are we doing here? Like, ah, he was, yeah. I mean, he was so good in Brooklyn, so versatile. It was just clear that he was going to be a great fit next to Jokic. And I think, you know, the combination of KCP, Gordon, Bruce Brown helps explain why their defense has taken the leap that it has, even though, you know, I know, I, I do want to ask you two questions about the Nuggets. Uh, sure. Because one, I was looking at this the other day and saw Jokic is like leading the league in defensive box plus minus, I believe. Great. Yes. I, I hate that, by the way. Like, okay. Honestly, like, I'm, it, it oversells how good he is and completely, like, it, it completely ruins the quality of the metric in general, uh, right. just based off of that. Like, I think that. This season in particular, Jokic has not been that great defensively. He's been, I would call it an average defensive player, just average, mm-hmm. where he's not horrible. And, and there, there's a lot of things that he does protecting the rim and, and protecting guys from getting all the way to the rim, which is honestly the most important thing when it comes to rim protection. I know that it, what you can you can limit the number of attempts that teams take, and that's part of it. You can limit the efficiency that a team has when they go for it. The best rim protectors do both, and I think that a guy like Jaron Jackson doesn't really limit the number of attempts at the rim, mm-hmm. but he blocks everything in sight and definitely makes it impossible for teams to score around there. Uh, Jokic limits the number of attempts, but teams when they do actually end up getting their score pretty consistently. He has been good in terms of the drop coverage that Denver's played, and they've actually been way better at that this year with more effective defenders, guys that can actually get around screens. And also the length of Michael Porter Jr. has really, I think, bolstered what their defense actually is. They have one of the better defensive lineups with their starting lineup. Like, I know yep. it, it doesn't feel that way a lot of times. And when you look at Jokic giving up some shots at the rim, that definitely doesn't feel that way. But they rebound everything, and Jokic is a part of that. And they also get turnovers and, and force turnovers every now and then. And they also don't foul. That's probably the biggest – that's what's one of the bigger reasons too. But they've contested everything with him on the court, and they've just looked better doing it over the course of these last couple of months. The first couple of months were – it was not good. And and this last game, I think you could see the lack of mobility with the hamstring injury really impacting him. But Jokic is not going to win any defensive awards, nor should he. But mm-hmm. he doesn't have to. And and I think everybody that says you need a an elite defensive center or or at least like a switchable defense in order to win a title, it, it maybe like we're, we're going to find out because Denver's offense is so freaking good that you have to yeah. stop that too. Yeah, I mean, the Nuggets, like, all seven of their top rotation players are shooting above 37.5 from three. Like, there is not a single, yeah, there's not a single (laughs) weak link offensively. Uh, My other question for Denver, because I am 
intimately familiar with this player, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is how are you enjoying the DeAndre Jordan experience? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I Matt Moore of the Action Network, I know, is a Denver guy, goes to a lot of games, so I, you know, follow him and have seen him. I don't want to say caping for DeAndre Jordan, but at least saying like, hey not as terrible as his reputation suggests but so it's funny the uh matt is definitely veteran heavy he's veteran centric where he's trying to defend these guys and not just like give the reins over to a young player that hasn't really earned it yet and i understand that mentality matt and i are friends we sit at the game and talk about it all the time that i think that what denver really needed is what deandre is providing And that's veteran presence, somebody who is communicating really well, both on and off the floor, and is at least getting them to a place where the championship level habits are good. Like, I think I think DeAndre knows what to do in a lot of these cases, and he also knows how to be a vocal leader in general, which is something that Denver has lacked, especially when Murray went out with the ACL tear his voice was kind of taken away from what they needed. And, and as he's kind of worked his way back, he started using his voice a little bit more, getting a little bit more comfortable with that. But Jokic was never going to be that guy. And Murray wasn't that guy. And Porter isn't that guy. And Gordon's not really that guy. And so like you're trying to come up with guys who can really tie the room together. And I think DeAndre has done that really well, if I'm being honest. Mm. Uh, on the court, the net rating stuff is horrible. Like <laughs> I think that... Zeke has really improved the defense and he's also just in general a better offensive threat because he could space the floor a little bit and is also rebounding well and doing a lot of things. And uh, he's just, he's grown a little bit on that end, but he's kind of our Paul Reed where Mm -hmm. you have a young player that you can see is talented that you can see can help you out in the playoffs based off of their skill set. And the veteran is playing over them at times and you're just scratching your head like, we know how this ends. Why are you doing it? Well, for Denver, that was mostly in October, November, and December. And now that January's hit, it's mostly been Zeke behind Nikola. And oh, Denver's okay. been really good because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, my, I'm not the only one with this conspiracy theory, but you know, the <laughs> conspiracy theory that they signed DeAndre Jordan just to boost Jokic's net rating for that third straight MVP seems to be uh, <laughs> coming true so far. But It's, it's well yeah. on its way. But what I will say is that Denver, like this last game uh, that they played healthy where they faced off against New Orleans, Jokic had a minus plus minus. And I, I don't oh. think it was all his faults. And, and it was the bench that really helped boost them through. And it was a lineup that featured Zeke at center with Jamal staggering with the second unit. And you had Jamal, Christian Brown, Vlaco Chanchar, Jeff Green, and Zeke Naji. That was quite wow. an interesting group. It's pretty big in general. Yeah. So uh, it was. it's really interesting. And Denver's kind of messing around with different things right now with their second unit, trying to figure it out. But I think Jamal cap- captaining that second unit with uh with Zeke Naji at center instead of DeAndre has been helpful for the bench. Yeah, I mean I I think they've got a player in Zeke. I've been impressed with Brown as well. So I I I have very few concerns about Denver overall. I think I you know I'd be pretty surprised at this point if they didn't finish as the top seed in the West. Yeah. You know the the problem is <laughs> look at some of the teams in the play-in mix right now. And like, if your reward for finishing as the number one seed 
you know, maybe playing a fully healthy Phoenix team or a Warriors team that's the defending champion, and like maybe they trade, you know, Wiseman for an Alex Caruso or something. That's a, a rough draw for a one seed. I'll say that much. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I'm I'm curious as to your like the Western Conference teams that you actually believe have a chance to win the title. What would that order look like? Is Denver at the top of that? Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> probably. I, like, it's so hard to doubt the Warriors because we just saw it happen last year. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, for the NFL fans out there, it's like similar to Tom Brady and the Bucks. Like, the Bucks were just so mediocre all year and then, like, have this one game where their offense finally clicks. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to turn it on in the playoffs. And then the playoffs come, they get. Destroyed. They were still mediocre. Like, That's crazy. Right. Like, <laughs> this is just who they are. And it's hard to believe that about the Warriors. I know Steph missed a lot of time, which is contributing to their mediocre record. But, you know, if they keep up this two timeline thing, it, it is it's hard to buy into them as a full fledged title favorite. I think they are a contender, but not necessarily in the tier with Denver and Memphis. I think those two deservedly so belong in the top of the West right now. I love Sacramento. I am so happy for Kings fans that this is finally happening. Their defense, you know, you asked about Denver's defense. I think they can get by. I don't think the Kings can get by, so I don't buy them as a contender, but I do hope they stay in the top six so they can at least get this this playoff drought over with. New Orleans, we just haven't seen healthy. I We just looked this up. Like McCollum, Ingram, Zion have played 10 games together, so they have the potential, certainly. Um, but I want to see them all healthy and playing together before I make any grand proclamations about them. I think the Clippers, Phoenix, and the Warriors, like, I think they all have the ceiling to be legit contenders this year, but whether because of health in Phoenix's case or you know, the Warriors just need to find more bench production beyond Jordan Poole or the Clippers, you know, Kawhi and Paul George have missed a lot of time, uh, but Kawhi really seems to be rounding into form right now. And they just have so many of these like 10 to $16 million contracts, which a lot of other contenders do not have. So they've traded a bunch of picks. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they've traded a bunch of picks um, for Paul George back in the day. So they're like, I think they can trade 27, 29 swaps and a 28 unprotected first. But if they are hunting for upgrades at the trade deadline, which it does sound like they are, you know, does something like Luke Kennard, Robert Covington, and the two swaps in the pick get them in the conversation for Fred Van Vliet or someone like that? And is that enough to help move the needle? Like, I, I'm not, I'm not willing to rule the Clippers out of the title conversation yet. Although, you know, it, it, they're very much in like prove it to me in April and May. More importantly, like prove that you're going to be healthy in April and May before we're ready to crown you as legitimate title favorites. Yeah. If I'm being honest about it, I don't like from a nuggets perspective, I think that the Clippers are a relatively standard matchup for Denver where Denver has a massive advantage over them mentally at this stage. And and Murray just can do whatever he wants against that team. Jokic can do whatever he wants against that team. And they have the size and the athleticism with, Gordon and KCP Porter 
even Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, that they can switch and match up with Kawhi and Paul George as, as well as any team in the West at this point. So mm-hmm. I think there that's a really interesting factor when, when handicapping it because the Clippers could beat pretty much any other team, but I don't think they can beat Denver, which is kind of cool. Um, Grizzlies were still trying to figure out they're on a four game skid after list after uh, winning 11 in a row, which I just don't believe in their half court offense. Um, mm-hmm. The Warriors, like, I just think they're mid at this point. Yeah, like, right. Like they just, they're just kind of, very emblematic of what the West is, where you had the 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 bottom pulled out from a couple of teams like the Suns and the Warriors, and suddenly you're left with, okay, who's actually good in this conference now? Luca and the Mavs, they don't have enough. There's there's just no way that they have enough, I think. Um I just think that Denver kind of gets this by default, where I, I think that they have the fewest questions, which they're still 14th in defense. Like, I think you have to be a top 10 defense most of the time. But like you talked about, they don't have to be that this year. They like they can get to the finals by just outscoring teams and coming up with stops when it matters. Like, they can do that. And I don't think any team can stop Jokic, if we're being honest. So, I guess yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think – I think they definitely deserve like favorite in the West for now. And then we'll see, you know, the next two weeks will be very telling if Clippers or Warriors in particular, make a major upgrade. Maybe I'd reevaluate that or like, you know, Memphis, especially with Danny green coming back, that's a big piece in terms of what he brings to the table, assuming he's anything like his former self, but also, you know, that gives them a $10 million expiring to dangle in trades. They haven't made one of these, you know, like all in, like the Clippers or the Timberwolves. So they still have a bunch of picks to offer, including a Warriors very lightly protected pick in 24. So like, you know, if they go out and the Raptors start selling and the, the, the Grizzlies somehow wind up with OG Ananobi, then I'm, I'm a little more bullish on, on their chances as well. So for you know, sure. I, I, Denver, I think deserves to be a favorite now, but like I, I would like to reserve the right to reevaluate that in roughly two to three weeks. Fair enough. I I think that's completely fair. Uh, Let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to go over this game that is playing on Saturday. What everybody's waiting for at this point, the Nuggets versus the 76ers, the center bowl and the MVP bowl should be very fun. We'll be right back. Back here, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here with my good friend Brian Toporek over at Forbes. Uh, should be great. Uh, this is now not working. This uh, bar is not clicking, but uh, it is what it is. We're, we're going to just move on without the prompt at the bottom of the screen for all you YouTube listeners. Uh, we are going to go over now Nuggets versus Sixers. Should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this game. Brian, I, I know you're coming off of a massive matchup with the 76ers and Ben Simmons. What does this matchup mean to Philly fans and to the Philadelphia 76ers players? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's going to be as much bad blood as there was Wednesday. I don't think Jokic is going to get booed every time he touches the ball or anything like that. Uh, but, I mean, I think there is significant tension between the two. I think it is a very fitting rivals week game. Um, there's certainly 
some bad blood from Philly's side about, you know, Embiid finishing second to Jokic for the last two years in MVP. We talked earlier about, you know, Embiid getting caught up emotionally against Ben Simmons would not shock me at all if we see a similar thing here where he's trying to prove that he is the better player than Jokic. And you can't do that during one regular season game anyway. Like the head-to-head matchup is not going to matter in the MVP race, or at least it shouldn't. Um but I wouldn't be surprised if that's, you know, like the, if the game plan is let's get Embiid going, let's test Jokic defensively. And in part, because I think Denver otherwise has the defensive personnel. Uh, I'm curious to think, to see how you think they'd actually match up uh, individually. But I mean, that, you know, they have the personnel to slow down a Tobias Harris or a James Harden or even a Tyrese Maxey. So I think an Embiid centric game plan makes sense here. Just, I don't know if like posting up Jokic 20 times is necessarily the right play. Yeah, probably not. It just, I, Jokic is a good post defender. Like I, I can't imagine that that even makes that much sense because if all you're doing is trying to fall away or trying to draw a foul, like I think Jokic is pretty good at contesting both of those without uh, doing too much. And if he gets got a couple times, then it is what it is. But I think... The Porter situation is tough. I don't know if you've heard on on your end, but Porter, his younger brother, Coben, was in a car accident that uh, unfortunately killed the other driver uh, that was a part of that. And so Michael has been away from the team for a while trying to uh, help his brother out and figure out what's going on there and what, what the next steps are with that. And just overall, probably not in a great place to play basketball. So we're going to see what the what that matchup ultimately looks like, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's still out for that game. And Murray's back and Jokic is back, and you'll probably get Murray, KCP, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, in which case if you start Maxi, Harden, and uh, Melton, then Denver actually has a pretty good matchup for all three of those guys where you, have, you probably have KCP on – Harden. You probably have Bruce Brown on Tyrese Maxey and you probably have Murray on Melton. Although Mm -hmm. Murray, I feel like is a better matchup in general to defend those guys than either Will Barton or Monte Morris were last year. So going to be interesting to see what that ultimately looks like. And so if, if Porter is back, then you probably put Porter on Melton and you have uh, actually, well, it's, it's tough because you're, if if Porter's back, then you guys probably have Tucker in there as opposed to, as opposed to that. So I wonder if both of these coaches are going to like kind of game plan and play chess with the other guy, then the matchup is going to get all screwed up and wonky anyway. So should be, should be pretty interesting to see. What do you, what do you think? What, what stands out about the matchups to you? Yeah, man, I'm curious. Cause this is really the first time if they do not have Porter, this would be a very logical time to trot out the three guard starting lineup, which again, we we've seen it close games. We have not seen it start games. So this will be very telling as to whether Doc was telling the truth about actually having three starting lineups or if he was just lying and trying to make the demotion sound less bad to Tyrese Maxey. Because, yeah, I mean, there wouldn't be a very logical place to put P.J. Tucker. Like if if Michael Porter plays, obviously you're putting him on there. Uh, Otherwise, I guess you could put him on Aaron Gordon. But I feel like Tobias Harris can do a good enough job. Like I'm not. You know, I think Gordon's going to get his, but Tobias will be fine in that matchup. Like maybe this is just give Tucker 
give Tucker a game off. Let him rest his 37-year-old dead hand that he's been nursing for more than a month. Yeah, honestly, like he is if if Tucker has to battle with Aaron Gordon, like that's a that's a tough matchup for Tucker physically. That will drain yeah. him for the rest of the season with the way that Gordon has been <laughs> playing. Like those guys have like Aaron Gordon last game against Giannis and like he he had 26 14 and 4 and and was just battling with Giannis and mm-hmm. he he's one of the only guys that can really physically go up against guards and forwards and a big like Giannis and so I've been really impressed with his season um in general like I, I think that both of these teams are going to prove unstoppable for the other it would mm-hmm. surprise me if when you're running Harden and Embiid pick and roll that's probably KCP and Jokic uh that are that are guarding that KCP does a great job of getting over screens and drawing illegal screens so that's honestly probably one where if you are Philly, watch out for that because KCP could draw an, an illegal screening foul or two on Joel Embiid trying to get to that place. But if he doesn't screen well, then Jokic is probably in a good place where he can recover back to Embiid in general. So we're going to see. Like I, I think it's ultimately going to end up being a lot of one-on-one between those mm-hmm. two guys, uh, especially in the second half of that game where you are – like it's probably just the easiest way to not involve the rest of the Nuggets where Gordon is a good helper, KCP is a good helper, Bruce Brown's a good helper. Those guys, like if you put them into position where they can help, they will, and they'll probably mm-hmm. force them and beat turnovers. So I think that that is that's going to be an interesting one on that end. Do you have any uh, Bones Highland fear after uh, yes. after this last game? Yeah, yeah. I, his last game against Philly, you mean, where he like just single-handedly sunk them in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, especially with Tyrese now coming off the bench or presumably coming off the bench, it could be really fun. It could just be like a Bones versus Tyrese Maxey six-man duel uh, and which young explosive guard hits the deepest step-back three. Maybe that'll be the thing that d- decides the game. <laughs> That would be awesome. That would be a a fun battle in front of the Philly fans on national TV. Uh, I know that Nuggets fans are getting ready for this one. This is the only matchup that they really have for rivalry week. And with all of the animosity that's gone on between these two fan bases regarding the last two MVP years, and even before that when Nuggets fans were like, we think that jo- that Nicole Jokic is just as good as Joel Embiid, and Philly fans were like, F you. That's not how this works. That's just us saying hello. That's how we (laughs) They were just saying hello in Philadelphia. That's that's true. Uh, No, I think think this is going to be a fascinating matchup. I think that both of these teams are really good. And maybe not like elite like you've seen some elite teams in the past, but they're very, very close. I'm curious who wins a a finals matchup between these two. This This is one where it would be an absolute war, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think Denver would probably be favored. Uh, it really depends on what version of P.J. Tucker we get, I think. Mm-hmm. If he is still this, I think Denver probably wins it. I, I mean, I also have much more faith in Mike Malone as a head coach than I do Doc Rivers. So I think yeah. I would lean Denver, but obviously I would be rooting for Philly. Oh, sure. Like, come on now. Of course. Like, yeah. I think um, I think Harden is probably more well-suited to carry a second unit than Jamal Murray is. 
Mm-hmm. I know that Murray's great, and I think that he he works with Jokic in a fantastic way. But that's been kind of a that's been a step in his development and his return back. It was one of the things that stood out in the bubble was that he was really helping carry Denver's offense when Jokic was off the floor. And then when they were both on the floor, it was great. But there was also just a lot of staggering in general where those guys were were propping the offense up. I feel like Harden is a little bit better at that right now than Murray mm-hmm. is. But this matchup might look completely different when it's like June. That's good Lord. It's four months from now. That's that's yeah. that's a crazy thing. So I, I'm I'm very curious to see how it goes. I'd probably think of Denver as the favorite too. It might just come down to home court, if we're being honest. Like Denver's a tougher place to play uh, for opponents than uh, like Denver. Denver's had a lot of more success defensively at home than they have on the road so far, and I think that that could be a really pertinent thing. I don't know what the home road splits look like for Philly. I know that they, it previously was bad. I think back in like. 2018, 19, 2019, 20 ish, whenever <laughs> that, that year was. I remember that being like, this team is unbeatable at home and defeatable on the road. That was, that was very odd. Uh, Denver, it's kind of the same way where they've just been unstoppable at home when everything's clicking and uh, on the road, they, they barely get stops at all. So I'd be curious. I, I think that this would be a fun matchup and Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic going back and forth. Like, I think that. It's a tough era for both of those guys, or like tough era for Embiid specifically, just because Jokic mm-hmm. has come away with the award a couple times, has come away with the first team nomination a couple times here. And if you could have both of them on, you would. If you could give MVP to both of them, you would. Uh, just because it's been that kind of season for for both of those guys, especially this year where yeah. Embiid is doing some crazy shit. And Jokic is yeah. averaging a triple double on seventy percent true shooting. Like, <laughs> right. sorry, <laughs> like it's yeah. just what yeah. Nuggets fans are are kind of fed up with it, honestly, just because they just want to celebrate their guy. They're not trying to put down Embiid, but I I feel like Sixers fans are so like, even more fed up with it because of how awesome the dude has been and not really getting anything tangible to show for it. Yeah, I will say I have a piece ready to go for Forbes. I was hoping like Tim Bontemps released a MVP straw poll in the next couple of days or something to make to give me a news trigger. But this is one year in particular where I'm just like not here for the MVP snub conversation because there's yeah. so many guys like in any other year. I mentioned Tatum earlier. I think Luca as well. Like whoever wins MVP, it, they're just having a monster season. And there's like a cup. Really, I think. Luca, Tatum, Embiid, Jokic, and I even put Giannis in that conversation too. Because if anyone else was doing what Giannis is doing, they would be right there. It's just like we've been spoiled by Giannis, and like we just expect this level of greatness from him. But like, yeah, I mean, Embiid is going to threaten for the league lead in scoring again this season. Um, you know, he's been occasionally more locked in defensively, setting like new efficiency record. But at the same time, like. Luka's averaging 33-9-9. Jokic is averaging the triple-double with 25 points and 70% shooter shooting, as you said, and like leading every advanced metric again. So all of these guys are just having monster seasons. There's not like a, you know, if Jokic wins and Embiid was not robbed, it's just like he just happened to be, you know, like was Charles Barkley robbed of a ring? No, he just played when Michael Jordan played. It just sucks sometimes. That's how it is. On that note, comparing Nikola Jokic to Michael Jordan, I bid you adieu. Uh, This is perfectly, perfectly timed. Thank you so much.
for uh, for making my point that Jokic is uh, the goat in this generation. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. We don't have to have any other conversation at all. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for for hopping on with me. This was really fun. Where can the people find your work and and uh, just make sure plug whatever you got to plug. For sure. Thank you for having me. As always, happy to come and talk some trash about Jokic anytime. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at btoporek, T-O-P-O-R-E-K. Uh, you can find me at Forbes. I write about Sixer stuff and also some salary cap stuff. And then Liberty Ballers of SB Nation, Sixer stuff there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hopping on with me, everybody. Good luck to both the Nuggets and the Sixers on Saturday. This should be a very fascinating matchup and hopefully can be revisited in June at some point. Should be a lot of fun. Everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be brought to you again after that Saturday game. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll talk to you guys very soon.